Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Uh, we'll have the, the verses up here on the screen here in just a few minutes. You know, we had that, uh, that, that video here just a few minutes ago, Courageous. Some stories of courage and some courageous acts. And again, I'm sure we can probably ask many of our first responders, and they could give us many stories of courageous acts that they have given. And uh, again, I couldn't help but think of that word this week as I was preparing for this day and preparing for the message. And, and I want to look at that word this morning through the book of Esther. And there's so many individuals in the Bible that are very courageous, show a lot of courage. And, and I think none better, really, in the Old Testament than Esther and Mordecai. And we're going to walk through this story this morning. Um, but the Bible has a lot to say about courage. In Joshua chapter 1, 6, it says, Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Again, there are verse after verse after verse like that in the Bible about courage, about not being afraid, about being bold. But if you found your place in God's Word, let's stand. I just want to read a few verses this morning from the book of Esther. We're going to start in chapter number 4 this morning. Esther chapter number 4. We're going to start in verse number 14. Esther chapter 4, verse number 14. Follow along if you would. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. We'll give the backstory of this here in just a few minutes. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And again, I know we keep mentioning it, Lord, but we're very thankful for those that are first responders today and the sacrifice that they make and the very uh, acts of courage that they display sometimes on a daily basis. And I can't even imagine some of the things that they've had to experience. And I know they face a lot of difficulty, but I'm so thankful for their courage, for their boldness. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us for the next few minutes as we look at your word and give this challenge not just to our first responders, but for all of us today to help us realize that you have called us to live courageously. You have called us to have a courageous faith, a faith that is bold, a faith that is audacious, a faith that is willing to take risk. And Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and for what you're doing at this place and, and what you're doing in our town. Well, we love you. Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated this morning. I want to give a quick backstory before we get back into chapter 4. I'm going to walk through chapters 1 through 4, and I'll do my best to, to hurry through them. But we first introduced to this story in chapter 1, and, 
And as it says, I'm not going to read all the verses, but it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. He's also known as Xerxes, if you've studied history. So Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, is the king of Persia at this time. Uh, he reigned from India unto Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. So, uh, so he had 127 provinces that he was in charge of, that he was over in this kingdom. And, and much in this day, as, as in any day, kings love to party. And a lot of us sometimes love to party. Now this king, Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, especially loved to party. And, and as it was in the culture, what happened a lot of times when they partied is they had a lot of alcohol. They had, had a lot of drinking there. And I think many of us know, and our first responders know, when alcohol gets involved, it's usually not a pretty picture, especially when there's a lot of alcohol. And what happened back in these days is they had the men in one place and the women in another place. And after this party had been going on really for, for several days, and just imagine how drunk some of these men were, Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, wanted his wife, Vashti, to come in. And we don't know exactly why, but we can probably figure out he's probably wanting to show her off. And just think about this. You got a bunch of men that are drunk, and they're going to bring this woman into Parader. That's not going to be a pretty sight. So Vashti, in her infinite wisdom and knowledge, refused. She said, I'm not doing that. There's no way I'm going before the king. In verse number 12, it says, but the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, very angry, and his anger burned in him. So just think about this. I started thinking about this. You know, I, I, I'm not going to do it today, but I thought, man, this would be a great sermon. What to do when your wife says no? You know, that's a great sermon. So if you want to come back and hear the rest of it, come back next week. Probably won't preach that, but uh, that'd be a great sermon, right? What to do when your wife says no? So as you can tell, this guy is pretty mad, pretty heated, pretty angry because his wife, the king, refused him. So it kind of made him look foolish. So he's got to do something about this. So he's trying to figure it out. And one of his princes comes to him and says, I've got a great idea. What we need to do is banish her, not kill her or anything like that, but we need to banish her. And, and a better idea, you need to get someone to take her place. So what happens in chapter 2 is it's really kind of a, a reality TV show, if you will. You know, we have different reality TV shows here in America, you know, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. This, in a sense, is one of those. Because the king is getting all of the single ladies to come to the palace and parade them and trying to figure out who he wants to be his next queen. So this goes on for quite some time, and, and we're introduced, firstly, to the character of Esther and Mordecai. Now, Esther and Mordecai, they were cousins, and they were Jews living in a foreign land, a strange land. They were there because they had been taken captive, so this wasn't their homeland. And if we see in verse number 17 of chapter 2, as the story picks up again, and the king loved Esther. So as Esther gets her turn to come in before the king, the king loved her. I mean, just imagine how beautiful she really was to be able to stand out in front of all these other women. The king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So here we have Esther, this girl from another land, this stranger in a foreign land, is now promoted all the way up into the palace. Now, we didn't read it, but before Esther went to the palace, Mordecai, her cousin, gave her kind of a command. 
He challenged her. He said, I don't want you to tell anyone who you are. She was a Jew. And again, they were the slaves. They were the servants of the Persians. So he didn't want her to reveal her true identity. That's very important as we set the stage to come. In chapter 3, as the story continues, we're introduced to another character. His name is Haman. Now, Haman was this day and ages Hitler. Hitler, we all know, hated the Jews. Haman did not like the Jews either. In fact, he was so despiteful towards them that he wanted to kill the entire race of Jews. And really, the reason he wanted to kill them was because of Mordecai. He was standing outside, and, and all of a sudden Haman came by. He was a high official in the king's palace. Haman, or Haman came by, and Mordecai refused to bow down. He's like, I'm not bowing down to this guy. So again, when someone is in that position and someone doesn't bow down when you're supposed to, didn't make him too happy. So Haman gets this idea and really gets very vindictive all towards Mordecai, but he can't, he can't take his vindiction out on just one person. He decides to take it out on an entire race of people. And the reason he does this, let's look in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. He says, And Haman said unto the king, so he brings it before the king, Ahasuerus, there is a certain people, it's really just one guy that he's mad at, but there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed, dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all the people. Neither keep thy the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. King, we shouldn't keep them. They're different than us, they're disobedient, uh, they're destructive, those things weren't true. The only thing that was true was they were different, that was true. And he says in verse number 9, take note of this, If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. He wants them all destroyed, all wiped out. And I, he's, he's trying to even sweeten the deal with the king, I will pay 10,000 talents of silver. That was a lot of money. I did some research, and in today's day and age, that would be the equivalent of $96 million. So he's saying, I'll fork the bill. Obviously, he's got a lot of money. I'm going to pay upwards to $96 million to wipe out this entire race of people. Now, <laughs> I've found it true. It doesn't matter how bad an idea is sometimes. If someone else decides to pay for it, we're usually like, okay, that's fine. And that's exactly what happened here. This was a horrible idea to wipe out an entire race of people. And the king goes along with it probably because, hey, I don't have to pay anything. The kingdom doesn't have to pay anything. So Haman, go ahead Pay for it if you want. So just think about that. There is a crisis in the land. There's a crisis with the Jews. They're about to be destroyed. King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, makes a decree, a proclamation. He signs it into law that on the 13th day of the 12th month that all the Jews would be destroyed. Think about how difficult this situation must have been. And I'm sure when faced in difficulty... It challenges us. And I know it's challenged me at many times in my life, and I can't imagine what the Jews were going through knowing their destruction was imminent. Knowing something very well might take place, so they had to do something. And Mordecai knew that there could be something done. So he reaches out to his cousin, who also is a Jew, in the palace and tries to help her understand some things. And we pick up the story again in chapter 4. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes. This was 
a symbol of, of mourning when something was going on. So you, you tore your clothes, you put sackcloth and ashes on, you, you went around the city wailing and crying. In verse number two, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter in the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing. And the news got to Esther. So Esther heard of this. Now, she didn't know everything that was going on, and it probably maybe even embarrassed her. So what she did was she sent out clothes for Mordecai. Hey, you need to put some clothes on you to cover yourself up. This is kind of embarrassing to me. She didn't understand exactly what was going on. And we skip down, verse number 11, or verse number 10. And Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to be put to death. So Mordecai and Esther had this conversation back and forth. I, I skipped over the verses, but Mordecai had reached out to Esther and he said, hey, you need to do something. You need to go to the king and, and, and plead on our behalf and say, hey, we're about to die, king. We, we need grace. We need favor. Please, please help us out. And, and her response is in verse number 11. She's saying, basically, I can't help you out. I can't do anything because you don't understand the law. If I go before the king and he hasn't summoned me, he hasn't asked me to come, I could be put to death. I could be killed. And, and he hasn't called me in upwards to 30 days. Look at verse number 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he's trying to challenge her. Esther, I know you're scared, I know you're afraid, but maybe this is the very reason why God has placed you in the palace. Maybe this is that time for you to enact that courage. And I think about this message this morning. I want to make some practical illustrations and applications here in just a minute. But again, I can't help but think of our first responders. And I'm so thankful for even the displays of action over 18 years ago on 9-11. The over 343 firemen and 71 law enforcement officers who courageously fought and gave up their lives for our country. But when we think about courage, is this, an, is this a an attitude that only first responders should have? Or is an attitude that all of us should have? It's something all of us should display. And the point I want to make this morning for the next few minutes is this. God has placed us on this earth for such a time as this. We don't know exactly why sometimes God has done what he has done and, and God does what he does and, and we don't know why situations happen, but there is a reason and I believe God wants us to live a courageous life. To live a life of bold, audacious faith. God has placed us here for His purposes and not for our own. God has called His children, those who have accepted Him as their Savior, to fulfill His purposes. He has called us to act courageously. You know what the easy thing to do when we're faced with trouble and a difficulty? Do nothing. 
And sadly, there's been many times in my life where I've been faced with a difficult situation. And instead of trying to act courageously and, and take a risk and, and live boldly, I decided to do nothing. And when we first read this story, that was Esther's initial reaction. Mordecai, you don't understand. I can't do anything. I mean, if the king doesn't summon me, I'm going to be put to death. But she forgot who she was, that she was a Jew as well, and even the palace couldn't save her. Ralph Waldo Emerson, a great poet of the past, he said, whatever you do, you need courage. Whatever course you decide upon, there is always someone to tell you that you're wrong. There are always difficulties arising that tempt you to believe that your critics are right. To map out a course of action and follow it to the end requires some of the same courage that a soldier needs. Peace has its victories, but it takes brave men and women to win them. And I want to look at a couple of very practical principles this morning from this story. What can we learn from this story? How can we be courageous? The first thing is this. Challenge others not to be overwhelmed. Isn't it very easy in life to be overwhelmed? I get overwhelmed sometimes just waking up and having to face the day. As a pastor, I can't imagine having to face a burning building, having to face someone that has a gun pointed at you. Life is very overwhelming when we think about it. And it would have been very easy for Mordecai, let's think about Mordecai in this story, it would have been very easy for Mordecai to say, you know what, I reached out to Esther. I told her what was happening, that there's a decree out for all of our lives and it's going to be signed into, into law and it already has been and on the 13th day of the 12th month we're all going to die. I reached out to her, but she said she couldn't help, so I guess that's it. Now think about this, again with our first responders today. I'm glad that many of them take the initiative and have the courage to face the danger and difficulty. But imagine this, and it's kind of a crazy scenario, but imagine there is a fire in your house or the building in which you worked, and there's really no avenue in which to escape. The only way you can escape is out the window, and, and maybe the firemen and some first responders are down below with one of those giant nets that we see sometimes. And they say, hey, all you have to do is jump out. We'll catch you. We'll save you. And the people up there are like, I just can't do it. Now imagine, if you will, and I know it's a crazy scenario, but imagine, if you will, the first responders are, are challenging people. Hey, this is what you need to do. And they're like, I can't do it. And imagine if they're like, you know what? We tried. All right, let's go back to the fire station. We wouldn't be too happy with them. Hey, what? That's your job. What are you doing? But think about this story. Imagine if Mordecai was like, you know what? I tried. She just didn't listen. And I feel guilty about this because I've done that many times. I've tried to warn someone, you know what? I've done my best. So I guess there's nothing I can do. There's no hope for this person. I'm just going to go home. I'm going to go golfing. But what we learn is this, that Mordecai didn't take no for an answer. Esther's response was that, I can't do it. I can't do it at all. But he wasn't okay with that. He wasn't okay to go and prepare for his death. And he challenged her. He said, hey, you have to do something, Esther. 
This is on you. This is why you're the queen. You cannot not say anything. Verse 13, Mordecai reminds Esther of something. That this, is, this decree is final. There's no changing it unless a bold and courageous act take place. Unless there is a risk involved. And what happens in a sense is Esther is being scolded for her self-indulging, self-preserving mindset. Esther was rebuked for living large and embracing royalty over service. For those telling words, Mordecai was reminding Esther that she had been chosen to set her own interest aside, let go of her own ambitions, and face the enemy head on. She was to risk her life and her legacy with no guarantees of a positive outcome. That was that such a time as this that Esther was challenged to accept. And this is the same challenge that God has for all of us today. I like what Tony Evans said about this passage. He said, God didn't place you where you are so that you can eat fig tree or figs all day and post pictures of yourself on social media. But it's true. God placed us here for such a time as this. And in life, life can be overwhelming. But what we need to do as Christians, as first responders, is challenge people to not be overwhelmed. To challenge people, even as our sheriff said greatly, that I'm so thankful for the greatest sacrifice that was ever made. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross and, and that tomb, that grave is empty. Challenge people not to be overcome because there is someone that is there walking beside us, walking with us. Now, it's very interesting. When you study out the book of Esther, it's one of only two books in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned at all. But just because God's name is not mentioned doesn't mean he's not there. And that's very important to understand we can't see God physically. But does that mean he's not there? No, he's there. Sometimes you can't see a first responder if you're in a difficult situation, but you might hear them. They're there. And I think of our Lord and Savior that is walking beside us, trying to help us. So what I'm trying to challenge all of us to do today, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, it's to challenge others to not be overwhelmed when life gets difficult, when life gets hard. The world around us is overwhelmed by uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if, if, if it's all, all going to work out according to, to what God says. If God has worked in our life, what we should do is take what we've learned and try to instill that in someone else. Try to help them understand that, hey, God is there for you. He is there guiding you. The first principle we see this morning is this. We need to challenge others not to be overwhelmed, and that's exactly what Mordecai did. That God is still there. But the second challenge is very important, and it's something I've been hitting on in our church all year long. Not only should we challenge others not to be overwhelmed, but second thing is this. Find your identity in Christ. Amen. You see, Esther had a choice. Identify with her people and risk execution or seek her own self-interest at the expense of her people and hope for the best. There is an identity crisis in our land, is there not? There is an identity crisis here for Esther. It's almost as if momentarily she forgot who she was, that she was a Jew as well. And yes, going before the king 
may cause death, but death is imminent because it's happening here in just a couple months. When we talk about our identity, we need to understand that it's our sense of self and sense of value. It's our core trust, our source of value and validation in life. It's what you look to or who you look towards for security and significance. Our identity is driving everything about you and in your life. Our identity is there to give our life validation. After Mordecai challenged Esther, she thought about it. And she rose to the occasion. Look at verse number 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer after he had challenged her. Hey, there's a reason you're here in this palace. Verse 16, all right. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to fast for me. Uh, I, need, I need the strength to be able to do this. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And, and so I will go in into the king, which is not according to the law. It's, it's not permissible for me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I love the next several words. This shows her courage. If I perish, I perish. And again, I can't help but think of first responders who have to go into dangerous situations in a sense in their mind, I'm doing this, and if I perish, I perish. I pray it doesn't happen, but I have to do this to save someone else's life. Esther had to do this, not just to save her own life, but to save the life of her entire people. You know, Mordecai's rebuke in chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 shook Esther to her core, reminding her of the reality that she lived in a facade that she thought was real. I want you to understand that faith is risky. It's risky because we're dealing with something that we cannot see. The opposite of faith is sight. If you can see it, it's not faith. If you know the outcome, it's not faith. If you can see the destination during every turn and twist, it's not, path, it's not faith. Again, as I said at the start of this message, I want to invite us all this morning to live courageously in our faith. The greater the uncertainty, the greater the faith and dependency on our God. I want to say that again. The greater the uncertainty, the greater the faith and dependency on our God. This is exactly what Esther did. If I perish, I perish. She knew the risk involved in approaching the king uninvited, yet Mordecai reminded her that disobedience was not the required plan of action. It was necessary for her, for her own personal survival and all of the people that were with her. Look, God has placed us on this earth for such a time as this. And there's a question that comes to my mind. Why is it that some step up while others step out? Why do some step up while others step back? Well, it's their job. You know, we pay our first responders. Some aren't paid. They're volunteers. But why do even Christians and individuals, why do some have the courage to step up while others say, I can't do it? Imagine if we had an entire generation of people that said, I can't do it. I don't want to have a bunch of cowards. I don't want to raise a bunch of cowards for children. There's been a lot of times in my life where I've been very cowardly. Can't help but think of the cowardly lion. I was going to sing this morning, but I'm not going to do that. 
But he wanted courage, right? And that's something we all need. We need courage. We need boldness to face the dangers that are out in this world. I'm not, not, I'm not talking about fire. I'm not talking about someone possibly chasing us down and shooting us or robbing us. I'm talking about the dangers that we can't even see. As it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and rulers of this darkness. Our, our enemy is not someone else. Our enemy is Satan. And he's very real, and we need courage to go through our day and our Christian life living boldly in our faith, challenging others not to be overwhelmed, encouraging others that there is someone that is walking beside us and walking with us, that we are not alone. I want to leave you with an illustration as we close here in just a minute. One wet and miserable morning in the Ohio River Valley, Ray Blankenship was making breakfast, and when he looked out the window onto the open stormwater drain that ran alongside his house, what he saw terrified him. There was a small girl being swept down the drain. He also knew that further downstream, the ditch disappeared with a roar underneath the road. Ray ran outside the door and raced alongside the ditch, trying to get ahead of this little girl. Finally, he hurled himself into the deep, churning water, he surfaced and was finally able to grab the child's arm, but they both tumbled end over end. Within one meter of the drain going under the road, Ray's free hand felt something protruding from one bank. He grabbed hold of something and held onto it for dear life. If I can just hang on till help comes, he thought. But he did better than that. By the time the fire department rescuers arrived, Ray had pulled the girl to safety. Both were treated for shock, on April 12th of 1989, Ray Blankenship was awarded the U.S. Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. And the award was very fitting because Ray Blankenship was even at greater risk to himself than most people knew because Ray couldn't swim. Yet he willingly jumped in that river, that storm drain, to save this girl's life. You see, that was a great act of courage, was it not? Mark Twain once said, courage is not the absence of fear. It is acting in spite of fear. I'm not saying you're not going to be afraid. I'm saying we need men and women who will act in spite of the fear. Esther feared going before the king. But Esther's fears were rooted in one thing, Esther. Sometimes I'm afraid to tell other people about Jesus Christ, of what they might think, but really... My fear is rooted in Chris Thorne. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love of a sound mind. And quickly, four things stand out to me about courage. And I want to leave you with this. Courage is bravery in the face of danger. Courage is steadfastness in the face of opposition. Courage is action in the face of resistance. And courage is optimism in the face of despair. The first one says, I will not be afraid. The second one says, I will not give up. The third says, I will not be intimidated. And the fourth says, I will not lose hearts. You see, that's what we see from this story in Esther. If I perish, I perish. You know, the rest of the story, she found favor before the king. And it's an amazing book, and it's an amazing study, but 
quickly what transpired is she was able to save her entire people. And it was all because of that one act of courage. Not knowing what was going to happen, but willing to do something. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to be willing to do something. I'm not saying we go into a, a, a burning, fiery building or you know, a, a, a building that's on fire. I'm not saying we do that. Leave that to the people that have trained for that. I'm not saying, you know, if there's a chase, we decide to help the policemen out and we go chase them too. That's not what I'm saying. But for Christians, for those that are children of the Most High, the, the, for, from God in heaven, we need to be willing to be courageous in our faith and help lead other people to Jesus Christ. That's what our world needs. I'm thankful for the ones that have saved people from a burning fire. But what about the people that are dying and going to hell? That lake of fire. We need courage to speak out, to warn people of the danger, and in a sense, not take no for an answer. I was saved at a young age, four years old, almost five years old, but I think of many individuals in this room that have been saved. Some were saved much later in life, and I'm sure they would agree that they are very thankful that people didn't give up on them. Imagine if Mordecai had given up on Esther. I still think God would have saved him because it was his plan, but Esther's life might not have been spared. Mordecai's life might not have been spared. That's what he was trying to get to her. God will save the people because it's his people and he's promised to, but it might be at your expense, your life. We need to have the courage, the audacious faith to be willing to do anything for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The greater the uncertainty, the greater the faith and dependency on God. Courage is not limited to our first responders. Courage is a challenge for us all to live a life that is pleasing to God, willing to take risk for Him. It's willing to speak up for the truth while others sit down. Courage steps up while others step back. So what are you willing to do today? I want to challenge you to be courageous in your faith to step up while others may step back.